Welcome. Welcome to Live Courageously, my podcast show number six of 2022. And I created this podcast to share the stories of some amazing, courageous friends I'm honored to uh, have in my life. I chose the title of Live Courageously because that's been the conscious theme of my life for the last two years since the beginning of the pandemic in 2020. The first five podcasts that I've done, I've introduced you to a very eclectic group of friends. Eileen Gruber, Termite Watkins, G. Anthony Joseph, Jason Cisneros, Ronnie Weinrich, and some of their credits and their activities include being actors, producers, martial artists, musicians, boxers, veterans, speakers, authors, and warriors against sex trafficking, and so, so much more. What they all shared in common or share in common is their lives have been lives of overcoming all obstacles, being unstoppable, and being role models for possibility and courage. If you haven't seen the previous podcast, you can watch them on my Live Courageously uh, YouTube channel, and I recommend you check them out. We're all living in very challenging, dangerous times, and it's because of this reality that you need to choose courage to get through what's coming. I shared this on an earlier show, and I want to reshare the six types of courage. Uh, one is physical courage, to keep going with resilience, balance, and awareness. The second uh, type of courage is social courage to be yourself unapologetically. The third type of courage is moral courage, doing the right thing even when it's uncomfortable or unpopular. The fourth one is emotional courage, feeling all your emotions, positive and negative, without guilt or attachment. The fifth one is intellectual courage, to learn, unlearn, and relearn with an open and flexible mind. And the sixth and last one is spiritual courage, which is living with purpose and meaning through a heart-centered approach towards life and oneself. So today, my guest exemplifies all that courage in action. Uh, retired Marine Colonel, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Kevin Schmiegel is the founder and president of um, KMS Strategies, a consultant firm specializing in corporate social responsibility, um, veteran hiring and retention, and nonprofit growth and development strategies. Lieutenant Colonel Schmiegel is a class of 1989 graduate of the College of Holy Cross. He was commissioned a second lieutenant in the United States Marine Corps and retired at the rank of lieutenant colonel. In addition to an early combat tour to Kuwait for the Operation Desert Shield, Desert Storm, um, Schmiegel served as the principal advisor to the NATO commanders from the years 2003 to 2006, deploying to over 50 countries in Europe, Africa, and the Middle East. Schmiegel also wrote the strategic plans for NATO's training mission in Iraq and its increased presence in Afghanistan and disaster relief operations for Hurricane Katrina and the earthquake in Pakistan. In 2008, Schmiegel served as a um, military assistant to the Special Envoy for Middle East Regional Security and de deployed to Tel Aviv and Jerusalem where he worked with Israel and the Palestinian authorities on the peace process. After 20 years in the Marine Corps, um, with all his uh, deployments to more than 50 countries, like I said, uh, and spending two years post-military as a chief of staff to the president and CEO of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, Smeagol followed his passion to continue his service by founding Hiring Our Heroes at the Chamber's Foundation and leading two other national military and veteran uh, nonprofits. As a nonprofit CEO over the past decade, uh, decade Schmiegel focused on rapid growth and change, 
partnering with hundreds of Fortune 500 companies, generating more than $100 million in revenue and impacting millions of servicemen and women and their families. Kevin has had a long history of leadership and accomplishment, and he is a role model for me personally of service and courage. His friendship means a lot to me, and I'm honored and blessed to call him a friend and a brother. So let's welcome uh, Kevin to uh, Live Courageously. Kevin. Hey, how you doing? All right. Welcome, man. How are you doing today? It's great to be here. I don't feel like I have anything to say after you read that bio. Those, those military bios are always long. Well, you know, I, 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 that was a shorter version of your military bio. And I'm, you know, I'm always uh, impressed uh, when I read some of the stuff you did. But even more, I'm impressed by when we've talked together and hung out and you just shared some of the journeys that you've been on. You know, you've had a very um, you've done a lot in your life. Let's put it that way. And so the, this bio, you know, it's, it's words on paper. But the reality of what you did in, in your real life and continue to do is what impresses me. Um, I like to start off the show with two things. And one of the first things I like to start it off with is just trying to see if you remember the first time we met and how we ended up connecting and becoming uh, uh, friends and where that was. So that's usually my first question. So uh, and if you don't, I'll remember. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, of course, we met through Operation Gratitude and a mutual friend. Right. It's uh, it's always these intersections in life that make the biggest difference. So um, a few years ago, when I was the CEO of Operation Gratitude, we were introduced by uh, an Air Force veteran uh, named Bob Donovan, a dear, dear friend, a Vietnam veteran who uh, lives courageously, too. So I think um, that introduction is a testament to the the world is a much smaller place than we think, because people who live courageously find each other and they they're kind of like magnets to one another. So um, I remember going to uh, Post 43 with you. American Legion Post 43 and uh, spending time with you and fellow veterans and some of your friends and doing what really is uh, my life's work, whether or not you knew it at the time, John, uh, that night that we spent together at Post 43, uh, the Hollywood Post for the American Legion, um, we actually were bridging divides that exist between uh, civilians and our military men and women. And that divide is not a lack of appreciation. It's it's just a lack of understanding about what it means to serve. And it takes it takes these types of connections to really um, make our military stronger, make our community stronger, make our country stronger. So uh, I'll never forget those moments. Well, it was, it, was, it was a great time. We had a great time there. And, um, and and I'm, you know, like you're saying, and we'll get into that, the whole thing of bridging the divide. That's one of the things that you're committed to, as well as other things. And I want you to share some of that with the audience. But, you know, what the first uh, thing I'd like you to kind of share is what does live courageously mean in your life? What does that mean to live courageously? And, and how do you see uh, how that exemplifies who you are? Yeah, I think you touched on it with... Um these six um, different um, definitions of courage. Um, for me, when you talked about the, the social courage and the moral courage in particular in being yourself and doing the right thing, um, that kind of typifies for me what it means to live courageously. And I have this, this motto that I think really speaks to all of these things. And it really is about letting your actions speak louder than words. I think all too often, in today's society, people do a lot of talking. They do, they, they pay a lot of lip service to things that need to be addressed in our country. 
And instead of speaking from podiums or from panels or um, joining conferences and convenings, uh, I like to lead through example and get out there and do things and show people that if you let your actions speak louder than words, you're actually going to affect change. Action is what, um, taking action is what really affects change, uh, global change for any cause that you believe in. So to live courageously is to demonstrate with your actions, your, your values, your beliefs, uh, and what you really want to accomplish in life. Um, and it takes a certain amount of courage to do that because it is, it's uh, arguably a lot easier to talk about things that need to be done instead of getting out there and doing it. Yeah, that's very true. You know, it's kind of funny. I always find it funny how connections get made in life and how we end up where we are. And I'm going to ask you your journey, but uh, you know, for myself, the reason I'm here and we're friends and I got involved in Operation Gratitude came about from an experience where I ended up doing some producing of training videos for the U.S. Marine Corps, um, in particular, an educator's workshop down in uh, Camp Pendleton and then the OCS trainings down in uh, Quantico. And, you know, Kevin, when I did that, that was my first uh, up close and personal experience with the Marines. And I just met some of the best young people I'd ever met in my life. And it just impressed the hell out of me who they were and their commitment and their family's commitment to service. And that's what opened up the door for me to say, well, what can I do to help? What can I do to serve uh, in particular veterans, but beyond that as well? And that's what got me involved in Operation Gratitude and meeting you, which led me down this path to so many other things. But I mean, I'm, you know, the Marine Corps was such a powerful, had such a powerful impact on me seeing them and who they are and what they are and their belief systems and actions. Um, but, you know, where did you start out, you know, as a young person, you know, the history of the military and your family? Why did you join the Marine Corps? Tell us a little bit about your life that took you from there to where you are today. Yeah, so I, I guess fittingly, the, the sword behind my head um, is really one of the major reasons I decided to become a Marine. Um, that sword was carried by my father in the 60s. So it's actually called the Marmaluke sword. It was awarded to Marines by pirates during the Barbary Wars. And um, it's called a Marmaluke sword. And it was awarded to Marines for their, their valor and their courage in battle. Um, Every Marine officer carries that. So my dad carried it um, during his service in the 60s. And then the day I was commissioned at the College of the Holy Cross, uh, my dad uh, gave me that sword and I carried that sword for 20 years. Um, so I think in large part, my decision to serve our country, to serve as a Marine was driven by my dad. He never, he never really pushed me in, down that route, but I remember my dad talking to his friends over the phone when I was younger um, in the 70s and even in the early 80s and um, watching this change in his persona, watching this change in his face and how he carried himself when he was talking uh, to his friends, many of whom served in Vietnam. Um, one in particular, a, a corporal who was awarded a silver star named Marty Brennan. Um, um, and I even remember going out with them and, and watching them interact with each other. So he never really pushed me or encouraged me. He, he wanted that decision to be mine. I have five brothers and sisters. I'm the only one who followed in his uh, footsteps. But um, I think that was the big reason. Um, the other reason is probably my mom. She's a, a very devout Catholic, um, served in the community, uh, served in a different way. 
but service was definitely a part of my life growing up. And uh, um, I think that was a big part um, of my decision. And, and coincidentally, I guess uh, I had three boys myself. My middle son uh, followed in my footsteps and his grandfather's footsteps. And he enlisted right out of high school. He finished his six-year enlistment uh, a couple years ago, and he's finishing up college now. So all on the right track. But I think that's one of the things that's really common in the military and becoming more and more common. Um, people who serve generally come from families who serve, which is why it's so important, John, when you share that story about these first impressions you have with Marines and how our paths have intersected, it's critically important that people who don't have family members who serve interact with those who serve because it does create better understanding uh, and empathy. And the more veterans, the more service members in their families can get out and talk to other families who haven't served, the more likely it is that they'll follow in their footsteps too. Um, if, if you look across the United States, there's, um, there's a phenomenon where um, our military generally recruits from the same 13 states and they pour resources into it because they're more successful there. And why are they more successful? Because um, the coaches, the teachers, uh, the scout leaders are actually largely veterans and they follow in their footsteps. So um, again, these connections are important, but my decision was largely driven by my dad. Well, you know, it's, it's funny you say that because one of the um, things that was most uh, impacting for uh, me was when we did the educators workshop down in uh, Camp Pendleton. Part of what it was, it was a Marine Corps program to bring in educators and guidance counselors to go through a mini boot camp. So as to get to see what the experience is and to kind of experience it a little bit for themselves. And one of the guidance counselors that we interviewed, Kevin, was uh, we interviewed him in Newark before he went. And he clearly said to us on camera that he hated the Marines, he hated the military, and that he would never tell any of his students to join. But he wanted to go to this experience because it was, I guess, a week away from uh, work at, at, at his school in Newark, New Jersey. So he, you know, it was a, a break. So he's down there and he goes through his uh, um, mini boot camp with the Marine Corps. And then the graduation happens and these young men become uh, Marines with their family there out on the, uh, the parade deck. And we got the cameras on him and he's crying like a baby, just crying like a baby. And, and we come over to him and we ask him, we said, what's going on, man? You seem very emotional. And he said, I can't tell you how wrong I've been all my life about this. He said, these people are the most amazing young people I've ever met in my life. And I'm going back to my school and I'm going to encourage all my students to uh, take a look at the military and, and particularly the Marines, because a lot of them were ghetto kids and kids that don't, didn't have an opportunity or future. So you could have talked to this guy for 20 years and never changed anything, but he had an experience with seeing what the Marines were about up close and it changed his heart. And, and to his credit, he had the courage to be able to change. And um, that impacted them. So yeah, I agree with you. I mean, unfortunately, I think if more people could have an experience up close like that, it would give them more of an understanding of like what you're trying to do. And, and let's get into that, you know, bridging that divide between uh, the military and civilians, because that's such an important uh, issue to do. And you've been involved in it on so many different levels. Maybe you can just uh, step into that for a minute and start explaining what you've done on that. Yeah, I actually, I'd have to go way back to my time in the Marine Corps myself and another mutual friend of ours, uh, 
Colonel Paul Cucinata, who's a lifelong friend now. I've known him for 25 years, but it was only until about two years ago when I realized that this has become my life's work. Um, and I was actually part of that divide. And it, it requires a little bit of an explanation, John. It's, it, it, it's, a very, um, it's a very strong word. And oftentimes people don't want to think about this gap of understanding, um, this gap of knowledge, this gap of empathy as a divide. But it is because that lack of understanding is really important to understand. Um, but I go back to a time when Paul and I um, were captains in the Marine Corps. We went to graduate school together and we started training for marathons together, getting together on weekends with our families. Um, I'm godfather to Paul's uh, youngest son, uh, second youngest son. He's godfather to my youngest son. And um, the fact is, we created this very insular environment, right? One in which we could support one another. And instead of reaching out to our civilian neighbors, we largely focused on our military friends. We largely focused on supporting one another during deployments when we were away from our families, um, during moves and long separations, right? So this divide that exists is often caused because military families feel isolated and disconnected from their civilian neighbors. We move every two or three years. Um, we deploy from our families for months on end. And because we support one another, oftentimes we don't go to our civilian neighbors for help. Um, fast forward um, to the very end of my career. And um, I started talking to a lot of young Marines who were transitioning out of the Marine Corps. And it was clear to me that assimilating back into the community was very difficult for them. They didn't know what they wanted to do next in their lives, right? They didn't know if they wanted to go back to school. They didn't know what uh, job they wanted to pursue. Um, and that is really why I started my first nonprofit called Hiring Our Heroes. At the time in 2011, the unemployment rate was 12.1% for veterans, 30% for veterans 25 and under. And what I actually did was not just get veterans jobs and careers with that program and with the people who worked with me and with the hundreds of corporations that hired them, what we did is we created understanding about the value of veterans in the workplace. We bridged the civilian military divide in the private sector. And that's why unemployment now for veterans is lower than it is for civilians wow. month after month after month. And then, um, you know, fast forward a little further to, uh, last year and the previous three years before that in my time with Operation Gratitude. Um, we brought communities together and continue to do it in a way where we build understanding, um, we build empathy, and we create these bridges between those who serve and the civilians who are serving too at the community level to support them. So um, it's a really eye-opening experience when you, when you understand it at a very basic level. And when you say it, the fact is, Going back to your question about living courageously, because my approach to things is to go out with actions and be part of change, you see it. And once you see it and you know the answer, you have to live courageously and pursue it. And this is not only a divide that exists between civilians and our military, this lack of understanding and empathy exists between civilians and our first responders. And I, I, I would say I... I'm part of that divide too. How could I possibly understand what it's like to be a police officer um, 
except that I have a brother-in-law and I have a, a close cousin, both of whom serve as police officers. How, how can I say that I understand what it's like to say goodbye to my kids every day and not know if I'm coming home? The same thing for a firefighter and EMT, especially over the last two years during COVID and all the issues that we're having um, with the racial divides and the social unrest that exist in communities. And really, uh, the, you know, a divide that's been exacerbated by those things over the last two years. So I, I cannot um, wake up every day without thinking about ways to solve that because for, you know, three and a half of the last four and a half years, I was in hundreds of communities watching the true impact of simply connecting people and listening to them, having conversations just like you did um, in Camp Pendleton, just like you did in Quantico, just like that, um, that teacher did from Newark. And all it took was conversations. All it took was to open up the lines of communication and the connections that needed to be made to build that understanding and empathy in a way where we bridge divides. And, you, and that work that you did during and particularly during COVID, I mean, because you, you know, you were with Operation Gratitude at the time and obviously things shut down and you found a way to pivot and pivot the organization, pivot your activity, not uh, pull back, which is what most people were doing. You just found ways to pivot in a new direction and reach out to um, first responders, police, fire uh, people in hospitals, the uh, nursing personnel and, and doctors. So you found a way to take the organization to do that and to be of service. So th those two points of bridging the divide and service, because everything that comes out of you, both in the military and all your nonprofit work is what I would call, what I use the word service warrior, because you're a warrior in the military. But when you're outside the military, you as a civilian, you're still a warrior, but you're a warrior in service as a civilian now. And so I, seeing that, it's a role model for me. I see you doing that and seeing what you've done with the organization and what you continue to do. But those during COVID, that was a big part. So maybe explain some of that. And once again, you learn things by doing that because you got to meet other people that you probably weren't in touch with that much, like in the healthcare uh, world as well. Yeah. So I'm going to, if I can, just talk a little bit longer on this topic because I think um, it does go back to my roots. And after I made the decision... Um, you know, they followed, to follow in my father's footsteps, I went to the College of the Holy Cross. And for, uh, for a few years, I, I was a midshipman through the uh, NROTC program. I went through OCS, I graduated, and I was in my senior year at Holy Cross. Um, it was the fall of 1988. I would graduate in May of 1989, just seven or eight months later. And, um, you know, all of my friends were seniors too. And I could see them having fun, right? And they were going on. New Jersey, correct? This is in um, Worcester, Massachusetts. Oh, Worcester, so just Boston, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but I could see them going on to be, you know, to law school and medical school and business school and some of them going on to get really good jobs and going out and having fun. And um, I remember one cold, cold night in Worcester and this, this place in Massachusetts the rain in the fall would literally hit the trees and it would instantly turn to ice. It would, it was that like 33 degree temperature where it wasn't sleet, it wasn't snow, but it literally would ice the ground. And I'm walking back from a drill on a Tuesday night in November. And I can remember having these doubts, having these doubts about um, 
whether or not I made the right decision to serve, right, John? Everyone has those doubts from time to time. And um, I felt bad about that, but I couldn't kind of get it out of my system, you know, and everything, I, I, I truly believe that everything in life happens for a reason. As I'm walking up this hill, I have my black uniform on, my white cover, my white hat, Navy hat, um, which we all wore as midshipmen. I'm walking up the hill and this legendary priest, this Jesuit priest who was a professor at the College of the Holy Cross, Father LeBrand, with his thick Irish brogue, he used to wear this white Stetson and he had a cane and I could hear it, that cane tapping in the distance as he walked towards me. And he, he could see the, um, the expression on my face. And he said, what's troubling you, my son? <laughs> and I said, I said, well, father, and he just sat there and listened for a few minutes. And I told him about the doubts that I was having. Right. And he stopped and listened. He let me talk. And I can remember him putting his hand on my shoulder and not, not staying there long. And he said, we are all called to serve in different ways. Mm. Just kept walking with his Stetson and his cane, but that has kind of been a guidepost ever since. And I think, you know, for me, I've had doubts since then. I had doubts as a Marine. I remember um, having those doubts when I was deployed away from my family as a young Marine being deployed away from my own kids for a thousand nights, watching the stress that they were under, uh, moving six times over 11 years. Um, you know, when you deploy to 50 countries, those thousand nights add up. So you don't get to have dinner with them or tuck them into bed or read them a bedtime story. All those things are very difficult. Um, but what always guided me back were those, those words. We are all called to serve in different ways. And I used that at my times of doubt um, but I also used it at times to help other people. And that's really what those words mean to me. Um, I remember uh, the first time uh, uh, we did a hiring fair at Hiring Our Heroes. We were in Chicago. It was March 24th of 2011. Um, I had been working hard for, for months. It was only me. I started an organization from nothing. Um, had a little office, eight foot by eight foot, and even had doubts then. Um, but I remember a young, a young Marine sergeant who had been out of work for a year walking up to me in a convention with 1,100 veterans and 110 employers saying, sir, you changed my life today. I got a job. <laughs> when you have that moment, you know you're called to serve, right? So you go on and on and on. And those same words, I remember being deployed as a, as a, as a lieutenant and having young Marines having their own doubts and me sharing that story about Father LeBrand and studying them. Um, and even at Operation Gratitude for those three and a half years, um, listen, when you run a nonprofit, the word nonprofit is a misnomer. You have to pay your employees. You have to keep the lights on. You have to keep the trains running. And it's, it's tireless work. On top of that, it's not, it, I, don't, I, I don't like to call it nonprofit. I like to call it for, pro, uh, for purpose or for impact. And the truth is some days you just, you're working 80, 90 hours a week and you're tired and you have your own doubts. But when you realize you make a difference, right? When you hear from someone um, that the work you do is changing their lives in a meaningful way. When you get an email from someone that says, hey, you changed my life today, right? I got this care package. I was, uh, I was down in the dumps. I, I had lost my hope. And then you lifted my spirits in a way that made a huge difference. Then you keep going. Um, 
So when we got to the point of COVID, to the question that you asked, we realized it wasn't a challenge. It was an opportunity to do more. And we pressed forward and we pivoted. We pivoted in a way where uh, in a single year, um, we grew the organization more than it's ever, it's ever been grown before. And you know, over a three-year period, uh, we increased revenue by 125%. Um, uh, we increased the number of products that we received uh, by 100%. We doubled the number of items that we received and the value of those items. But most importantly, during a global pandemic, uh, in an organization that was based on hands-on volunteer opportunities and in-person opportunities, we doubled the number of servicemen and women and their families who we impacted during a global pandemic. And that's because people on our team, our volunteers did more, not less. And they lived courageously too. They were inspired in a way where they realized that our men and women serving, uh, our men and women in the military to include the National Guard who was deployed not only overseas with our active duty, but deployed uh, at COVID vaccination sites, uh, you know, cleaning up uh, places that uh, where people were dying in, in nursing homes and, you know, things that young men and women shouldn't see uh, in their own home front. Uh, we were supporting hundreds of thousands of doctors and nurses in hospitals because they were on the front lines of the pandemic. And we were supporting our first responders and police and fire departments across the country. And um, listen, when you look in the eyes of uh, police officers and firefighters and you say, thank you for your service, you can see from these pictures we don't stop at thank you. We have a conversation with them. Uh, we talk to them about what, what their service is and why they do it. And I, I will tell you time after time after time in um, cities across America, uh, when I talked to first responders in particular, I was moved in a way that I never thought possible because um, they, were, they were experiencing very, very challenging times, and they had their own doubts about their service. And I know what that feels like. Uh, I go back to that story I told about Father LeBrand and our organization, Operation Gratitude, and um, our volunteers and our team, you know, we were with them every step of the way, supporting them. And I've decided now that I've left Operation Gratitude that I'm gonna continue that work. It, it's important to me personally. It may not be as easy as an individual who has uh, a company and, you know, a few partners and colleagues that have their own companies too, kind of doing this, but it's still important to me. So I'm still going to press forward. Well, just to echo what you said, and, and just uh, maybe you can say the word, but you took advantage of, of that COVID situation to see it as an opportunity, to see it as an opportunity to grow, an opportunity to do more. And I think that that mindset, that belief you have is something that I think more people can learn because we're all gonna be faced with challenges and we don't know how many are gonna get thrown at us in life. So rather than having that do something where you back uh, off or you retreat, it's really, a, it's a, a opportunity. It's an opportunity to do more. It's an opportunity to contribute in a different way if you choose. And that's what you did. You, you took the proactive choice to take that situation, which wasn't a good situation, but you tried to turn it into something that was good. And yeah. I think that's what I think, you know, is a lesson from you and all your action uh, and service. It's always about that. It's always about taking the reality, whether the reality is good or not, and then finding a way to 
uh, contribute and make things better in the midst of whatever that reality is. Exactly. I mean, I remember when California announced the shutdown. I mean, I remember that like it was yesterday um, in March of 2020. I mean, I literally um, called Paul Cucinata, another like keep saying his name in the middle of the night. You know, we, we were seriously considering shutting down our warehouse and our operations. I mean, how that's can you how can you not as an organization that's based on the premise that you have to bring people together um, to make an impact? So we found a way to pivot. And I, I, I truly do believe that everyone should consider that with every challenge does come an opportunity. And that doesn't seem like it at the time. Right. It's really? scary. It's scary. And uh, we had to talk to our employees. We had to brace them for, you know, what a reality did exist. We were we were not only um, very fortunate to continue, there were thousands and thousands of nonprofits that did go by the wayside and had to shut down. Not only did we um, make more of an impact, but we grew as an organization and we were able to invest in a way where um, we were able to make a further impact the following year. And even this year, because we exceeded um, the expectations on our budget side. So we, you know, we put that money aside and we were able to realize an even bigger impact uh, in 2021 and beyond. And those things are important for people to consider. I, I think, listen, the other thing that came out of COVID, John, is we did create an environment where people do have a common and shared experience around isolation and disconnectedness, which is something that military families feel. So this challenge of bridging the divide, we have an opportunity now to build on that common experience to say, as a country, we need to come out of COVID and we are coming out of it and we need to take advantage of it in a way where we bring this country back together. I firmly believe that the best way to do that is through service. And I'm not just talking about bridging the civilian military and larger civilian service divide. I, I think that is a great way in communities to bring civilians together with military families, with veterans and their families, with first responders and their families, and with doctors and nurses and their families too, who are going to need the same type of support coming out of COVID. They've been at war for two years. They've, they're going to have the same issues that many of our veterans have and many of our police officers have too. They're going to have post-traumatic stress from the last two years. And we have to come together as communities and unite in a way where we're not only bridging those this civilian service divide, but we're bridging other divides that exist in our country. I, I firmly believe that every American wants to serve. Every American wants to serve our country. They want to serve their communities and they want to serve one another. That is one thing that we all share. And I've seen it, John, you've seen it too, when you've come to these assembly days and these service projects and anything that you've ever done involved with service, but particularly the events that you did with Operation Gratitude. Think about this. You have this massive building. Everyone's lining up to come inside. And you look at the people in line. They represent every race. They represent every religion. They represent every politic. They represent every differing viewpoint you can imagine. But it's the most incredible thing you've ever seen. They leave those differences at the door. And in the process of serving and putting items inside a box that are going to go to deployed troops or inside bags that are going to go to first responders, they realize they share the same neighbors. They go to the same restaurants. Their kids go to the same schools. 
But most importantly, they realize that they share the same values, a value based on the fundamental belief that they want to make their country, their community, and one another stronger. They forget about all their differences because they realize what makes them the same. That is bridging the divide. You know, and like you said, for people who haven't um, had the gift of doing service, they, it's a gift that they should give themselves because the gift of being uh, to, to do service to others is the biggest gift to yourself. It's not it, you're serving both at the same time because it's, you know, to take gratitude and put it into action is such a you grow from it. And like you said, you get to meet people, you get to have that social interaction that we need, especially which people have lost for a couple of years, or at least some people have, unfortunately. And that just makes us see what we have in common more as opposed to what we have in differences, because we're always going to have differences. But when we realize we have so much in common and the way to do that is get out there in service to others. And then you go, oh, wow, you know, I like this person and, and you don't even know what they believe or don't believe. It doesn't don't matter. Care. You, you know about that. Yeah. And there's two other things. I, I don't want people that are listening to think I'm Pollyanna. I don't want them to think, sure. oh, this guy is pie in the sky. Put all the stuff I've said about the civilian military and civilian service divide and the divides that exist in our nation. And just think of what, about what happened during COVID. And I'll share one story about that. I go to the supermarket in my local neighborhood here. I walk up to the supermarket. And as I'm going in, there's an older black gentleman. And he had a Vietnam veteran hat on. And um, I walk into the store. And he's out in the back of the parking lot with a cart. And it's empty. And literally, John, I go in and I get... Um, I don't know, some meat from the butcher and some fresh vegetables. And I'm going to home back to cook dinner. It couldn't have been more than five minutes. By the time I walked out, there's a line of 15 to 20 people, people putting a loaf of bread in his cart, people putting a bag of oranges in a car, someone handing him a $10 bill, someone putting, uh, you know, water. Car. By the time I got to, just to talk to this, this uh, older gentleman, by the time I got there to hand him a $20 bill, his cart was flowing over, mm. right? It, everyone, everyone wanted to serve. Everyone wanted to get back and help him out. And it turns out he was with First Cavalry. He's a Vietnam veteran. He owned a small business. And it was, you know, it was like a shoeshine um, uh, laundry business, right? And not like an industrial laundry business. And it went under during COVID, wow. right? Vietnam veteran, literally worried about making ends meet for his family. So I, I think about that in the context of what I said about people wanting to serve. And I also think the second thing, uh, this great quote by Martin Luther King, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. And, mm. and that's true. I mean, it, there's no better feeling than serving other people. And listen, I, I, I think having a sense of purpose is the most important thing in life. And I think I, I firmly believe that comes through serving others. And I, I, I can share with people that when I lost my sense of purpose, I, I wasn't as happy. I mean, I remember being in a very dark time after I served in the military for 20 years. I was the chief of staff at the US Chamber of Commerce. For three years, I had meaning, founding an organization that helped veterans get jobs. And for a year or so, I went away from that. And I did a job where I made more money, um, but I didn't have that purpose. 
and I spiraled. I spiraled in a in a, a, a pretty pretty bad state of depression. And then one day someone saw that and said, hey, you should go back to nonprofit work. And when I did and I found my sense of purpose and I served again, I became the same person that I am now. Go back to that thing that I said about Father LeBron. Every, you know, him saying we're all called to serve in different ways. That has been my guidepost. And when I went away from that, I wasn't myself. And I think that can be said about anyone. We are all called to serve in different ways. You don't have to serve the military or veterans or first responders. You can you can serve people who are underprivileged, people who are homeless, anyone who needs something, you know, you can help. And, you know, that that purpose, having a bigger purpose, having a mission in life, um, you know, some people get it in the military. It, it gives you a purpose. It gives you it gives you a um a family, a team of people who are working together. When a lot of times, when people come out of the military, they lose that sense of purpose because now that transition to um, civilian life is tough. And then in the civilian life, there's a lot of people who are living without a sense of purpose. They don't have a, something bigger than themselves. So survival may be the only thing that they have, and that's not enough to really make you feel good at the end of the day. It really isn't. You know, when you have something that's bigger than yourself then you're able to make a contribution and then you feel good about yourself because you're able to help others and not just yourself. And, and that sense of uh, service and that sense of purpose is so important. And I know a group that I am going to throw up a picture of you because you're, you're like an amazing mo uh, role model with what, how many 12 uh, marathons now. Um, and, you know, when I, 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 a while back, a few years ago, I got involved and did some stuff with Team Red, White and Blue which was a group trying to, you know, bridge that divide through physical thing and give the, the military uh, veterans uh, another purpose and using some of that. And I know you just recently did a, a run with them. I'm going to throw up that picture of you. Uh, there you go. You and Paul Cucinata and uh, Team Red, White and Blue. Yeah. That was a great day down in San Diego. Actually, we saw you and, and uh, Bob Donovan down there, the, I think, the, that night after we ran with them. Um, Yes, that's us in San Diego. The four. Yeah, there it is. It's, we look. We don't. We don't have our PT gear on them, but I think that was. Uh, that was a great, great time. It, it's the same thing, right? It's people coming together with a common purpose, common mission, common vision, and and, and values, and that. It 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 really does uh, take people from all walks of life to make a difference. It's funny. I was in my, I was in the car with my wife today. Who I uh, just ran the half marathon in New York City with her. And we were finishing up the run and, you know, we were driving back and we were talking. I spent the day yesterday with a, a large group of nonprofit leaders here in Washington, D.C. The whole day on a Saturday is, you know, sometimes you have to do those things because it's hard for everyone to get together at different times. And there was a lot of people talking about how to solve a lot of the issues that our military families are having in particular. Um, you know, we've been at war for 20 years. That's exacerbated by two years of COVID. The there's 30,000 troops deployed now to Eastern Europe um, in support of operations uh, uh, with the, the war between Russia and Ukraine. And anyway, my wife and I were going back and forth and she said something that's really telling. She says, everyone just did stuff, like did one thing, one thing to support those families. And, and it doesn't have to be a massive policy change, right? It's, it could be as simple as just having a conversation. It could be as simple as, you know, going to your local school. The, the, the fact is 600,000 military families move 
every year. Every okay. every year, relocate to a new location because we move every two or three years. Think about what's going on for those kids. So they're moving schools every two or three years on average. They've got to say goodbye to old friends, uh, make new ones, um, assimilate into a community. Then on top of that, their fathers, their mothers are deploying overseas for six months, for nine months, for a year. Um, how simple is it if you are a teacher in a school somewhere or you're in a community anywhere and you're at a church or you run a club to, to reach out to the local base or station to organize an event that says, hey, if you're a military family, if you're a veteran of family and you're new to our community, come to this potluck, come to this spaghetti dinner, come to this race. And, it, and if you're a principal or an administrator in a school, shame on you if you don't organize something in every single community. This isn't happening just in Camp Pendleton or Camp Lejeune or Quantico or a big army base at Fort Bragg or Fort Leavenworth. This is happening in communities across the country. 200,000 military families leave the military every year and they reassimilate into communities. There are 20 million veterans in communities right now. I know people who don't know a military family that don't know a veteran and they're walking amongst them. So it, a lot of this stuff is just doing things. It goes back to my point about action speaking louder. And if people less spent less problems or less time trying to solve problems in massive ways, which I can be accused of too, and just went out and did things, we would be, uh, we'd be in a much better place. Well, you know, one other point, and it's kind of funny because uh, last night I was at this uh, veteran um, musical event called America's Salutes. Um, and all these bands, rock bands were playing to raise money for veteran causes. And they gave, they gave us a book when we were coming in. It was a small event by invite only. And they gave us this book and it just kind of flips into one of your points, which is, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it before, but it's uh, Marines Don't Cry. Now, I haven't had a chance to read the book. I'm going to read it. But, you know, the reason I raise it is because you're the opposite of that. And, you know, and we all I know your friends tease you sometimes. But the thing is, you have that empathy. You know, you, you obviously had the warrior side of you. And I'm going to throw up a picture of you that I love with this young kid. Um, and it's just like the look on your face, um, I just think is, is, is priceless. You know, it's just. It's that empathy that you have. And I think that's the other thing that that, that you're also suggesting in, in our world is that we need to have that more. We need to listen to each other, but we need to have uh, empathy and have uh, and, you know, I know you cry. I know I cry. Uh, you know, that's not a weakness. You know, it's um, it's we have the empathy and it allows us to. And you, you're tough when you need to be tough. But when you need to be uh, gentle, you're gentle. And and I think that's just something we can emulate and for other people that uh we need more of that in the world. Yeah, I had to smile when you held up the book because I, <laughs> knew, I knew where the conversation was going to go. Right? Yeah, I, you know, I, I I freely admit that I, I get very emotional. I chalk it up to old age and <laughs> having grown men as as kids. But I do think this. Um, I, I think back to my time, I, I mentioned my dad and my decision to serve, but I should talk about my mom. I mean, it's even during this call, I probably almost cried three or four <laughs> times, but I, I go back to like the golden rules that I learned as a kid because of my mom and because of her faith and because she is a warrior servant too, just walking, you know, walking in the, in a faith that shows her that to treat others the way she would want to be treated and to walk in their shoes and to be empathetic those are the golden rules to love your neighbor as you would love yourself. And 
you know, treat others the way you'd want to be treated is very simple. Um, it is. And, and, and listen, we should always do that as a, as a way of thinking and to walk in someone else's shoes is important because if we do that, whatever differences we have go away. If two people who are very different, who are divided, who aren't getting along just for that moment, that split moment where they're mad and angry at each other, if they just stopped and said, what is it like to be that person? What is it like to be that person? What is it like to walk in their shoes? What is it like to walk in their shoes? That would, that would um, dissipate. It would go away. It would evaporate that anger, that, that, that disconnect, that divide would go away because they would take the moment to empathize with one another and what they were going through. And yeah, again, this is not Pollyanna. This is just experience after 54 years of living and seeing it. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of my work is focused on those who serve because I have walked in their shoes and I know what they're going through. Um, but I do that as a matter of course every day. I mean, it's, it's something that I was taught for me from a very young age. And again, when Father LeBrand said, we're all called to serve in different ways, I think of my mother too. I don't just think of my father and the fact that he carried that sword and was a Marine and that, that side of me. But the, my mother's influence, influence on me is just as great as my father's. And those two things side by side are unstoppable. And when you have, when you have role models like Father LeBrand and some of the best general officers who are also uh, my mentors and people like you and Bob Donovan and Paul Cucinata and other people who live with the same mission, the same mission to make this country the best country in the world and, and to make our world a better place, you're going to be, you're going to be fine. And I've been very fortunate in that regard. Well, you know, I'm going to, take you going a little forward before we end but you know what you're talking about i i had the uh uh honor to meet uh, a young man who met, was make uh, made a documentary film based on his life uh african-american guy uh from the midwest and originally when he was making the film he told the story it was called walking while black and he was angry and he had been treated you know uh unfairly a couple of times or may maybe many times by police officers in his community so he had this rage inside him and that was what was he wanted to make the documentary to express that rage and then he had an experience he was also christian his brother was dying of cancer and his brother told him he said you know brother you got to let go of this uh hatred in you and anger you got to let go because you're never going to heal unless you do so his brother died and he was on the beach he said and he was reflecting and praying on it and then he realized that he wanted to make a different documentary. He wanted to share that reality, but he changed the title from To Walking While Black, Love is the Answer. And what he did with the documentary, he started to create an opportunity for communities and police to sit down, have coffee together, talk together, get to know each other, and begin to build, bridge that divide between the African-American community and the police department. So he's done that throughout the country. But that's like what you're saying. And you did work. Um, during COVID with a lot of stuff, particularly in New York with the police department. And maybe you can just talk a little bit about that. And then I want to take you up into what you're doing now and your future, yeah, where you're going, because you got some big plans and I hope to be part of some of them. So keep yeah. going. Yeah. Tell yeah, me a little bit about that. Yeah, so New York was, uh, and serving the NYPD was probably the most um, meaningful thing that I've done um, with my career post-military. And Many of the police officers in NYPD have become very close friends. And um, I, 
I, I mean, I can't believe what we did over nine months. In, in nine months, we delivered, not only delivered, but we assembled in in different parts of New York and in, in the five boroughs, we assembled um, 35,000 care packages and delivered them precinct by precinct in all eight sub-boroughs um, to every police officer in, in NYPD. And we brought volunteers there too. The volunteers who assembled the care packages actually went to those precincts in Brooklyn, in the Bronx, in Manhattan, in Staten Island, and they went after it, right? They went after it to, to make a difference for our men and women serving NYPD at a time when they really needed it. And that changed my life forever. And I'm working on a, a, a massive project right now that will create global change for police officers and for the issues that we talk about. And um, I'm working on that with one of my best friends, Paul Cucinata, who um, I've been serving with again and mentioned, you know, <laughs> For 25 years, there's us drinking a beer in New York uh, on St. Patty's Day. This past St. Patty's Day, the, the the night before we were going to meet with NYPD on this project. So, um, and I was very jealous that I wasn't there with you two. Guys. I was I was, mad I was very jealous. Yeah. Well, we're gonna we already we already promised that we were gonna do that again. And if Duffy and Donovan promised that they're gonna come to New York to drink a Guinness with uh, a Schmiegel who whose mother's name is McGonagall and uh, a Cucinata. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll let him into the, into the fray too. Uh, we're going to, we're definitely going to do it, but um, I'll, I, I can go ahead and pivot. Cause I, I referenced the work that I'm doing now. And right. you know, it, in, in some, if you think about my life, at least from the time I was 21 until now in 54, I, I've really devoted my life to four organizations. I, uh, I, I gave, everything I had to the Marine Corps for 20 years and was loyal to the institution and lived courageously with them, every Marine that I serve with. Um, and then I ran three nonprofits and those three nonprofits, I gave just as much in terms of service, in terms of my time. Um, I worked uh, tirelessly with Paul Cucinata to, to, to run Operation Gratitude and within a team that grew from 13 to 37 people in just three and a half years. And they were incredible and all our volunteers were incredible. But I came to this point in my life where I realized I could do more if um, the gloves were off or the shackles were off and I wasn't encumbered or constrained by devoting myself to just one cause at a time. So I'm going to spend the next 5, 10, 15, 20, maybe longer years connecting every relationship I have, every dot that I've laid across the globe to make a difference, to make a bigger difference. So every corporation, every foundation, every individual that wants to give, I'm going to connect with the causes I believe in. So my my firm, KMS Strategies, is, uh, is focused on doing just that. And a lot of our focus is on military veterans and first responder causes, but it really isn't about that as much as it is about making change and making an impact and waking up every day to do that. And, um, you know, if you think about it, right, I was in the Marine Corps and I made an influence for 20 years and I made that organization better in a small way compared to the 200,000 other Marines or as part of the 200,000 other Marines that served with me year after year for 20 years. And if you think about the work I did in those three nonprofits, they're still doing those great things. So that's a constant. I'm just adding on and on and on. So I'm already working with four nonprofits um, 
to include this amazing young Marine veteran, a, a quadriplegic who um, started this company called Oscar Mike. They sell these amazing t-shirts and they help severely disabled veterans get back on the move. They give them purpose. They give them a community to, um, to, to rally around them, to build around them. He's had a thousand veterans over 10 years, a thousand severely disabled veterans, quadriplegics, triple amputees, people who suffer from the invisible wounds of war through his program. And while everyone's talking about the 22 suicides a day amongst veterans and mental health and wellness, Noah Currier, the founder of Oscar Mike, with three other disabled veterans just over 10 years ago in his parents' garage, started an apparel company. Two quadriplegics, two amputees, literally putting shelves up. They screened t-shirts 10 years later They've helped a thousand veterans get back on the move. That's what Oscar Mike means. It's a term that was used in Iraq and Afghanistan. If you were on the move and you weren't going to be able to be in the fight until you got to your next position, you would say, hey, I'm Oscar Mike. What he was showing veterans through his own actions, through what he learned, if you get back on the move, right? If you get back on the move and you improve your physical health, you'll improve your mental health and well-being. John, a thousand veterans over 10 years, not a single one of those men and women have taken their lives. That's an impact. So, you know, Noah is a young man who's been doing this, a young Marine. He's four, just turned 40 years old, just got married, uh, has a little girl, uh, Kaylee, his wife, Erin. He's living this amazing life where he's helping other people get back on the move and realize their sense of purpose. He's giving them hope and he's giving them a community they all share this common belief that if I'm on the move, I'm going to achieve anything I want to achieve. So he literally has people jumping out of airplane, veterans jumping out of airplanes on ATVs, all these incredible things. And he's saving lives. And to me, I want to be part of those things. Um, and I'm helping several other organizations at the same time too. So I'm able to spread myself out, make a greater impact and help those organizations grow very quickly. And um, it's just an amazing thing to be a part of. And most importantly, I get to work with people uh, like you, like Paul, like Bob Donovan, like people across the country who I really want to work with and spend time with whenever I want, wherever I want. And uh, it's an incredibly freeing experience and uh, incredible experience, too. I get to also spend more time with my family, which is kind of nice, too. That is special. Yeah. And you, you have a great family, man. Um and that's such an important thing. You know, I got, I got a, you, you had mentioned to me when we were down in San Diego, I got to interview the uh, young man from Oscar Mike as well. I'd love to have him come on and share his story. Uh, I'm doing a um, podcast next week with a young woman, Navy uh, veteran who's a paraplegic, and she has a horrific story as to how that came about. And she's been a motivational speaker. She wrote a book called Fallen Upward. And she participates in all these paraplegic uh, uh, sports and Olympics. And once again, she has a purpose. She has a mission. And she just has a spirit that just lights up a room because she she has something to contribute. And she's contributing nonstop to the world, just like him. So I'm going to I met her and, and I got a chance to hear her story. So I'm going to share that next week. That's awesome. Oh, and she's yeah, she's an incredible uh, woman. So, yeah, I look forward. So in wrapping up, um, anything else you would like to finish up or share or 
anybody, how people contact you, how the people get involved in supporting uh, all the efforts that you're doing. And in the future, of course, when you get those things concrete, I'll share them to all my uh, social media. Uh, so if there's any way to get people connected to you. Um, and I look forward to working with you on whatever I can with, with those uh, endeavors because they sound great. Yeah. I mean, I would just say, you know, I, I'm just honored to, to be part of this and, um, you know, to, to have this relationship, right. To have this friendship. And, um, you know, it's, it's weird when you do a podcast cause, um, you're not getting to see the people who are listening and express that to them, but any friend of John Duffy's is a friend of mine. So anyone, anyone who's tuning in to, to live courageously is looking for these types of messages. And I'm just honored to, to share my own experiences in a way where hopefully, you know, the one person who's listening, it might make a difference. I, I think, um, again, all, all too often in my life, especially the last 11 years, I've been focused on making massive changes. And arguably, I have helped millions of people. But what's really interesting to me right now, this time in my life, is I, I want to connect with individuals in a much deeper way, because there's a different theory of change, right? I, I was always focused on creating these organizations and making massive change. When sometimes if you think about Noah and you think about people like you, if I could, if I could work with them or help them in a way where they can go on to help millions of people too, I'm arguably doing more. So I'm just honored to be here. And, you know, there might be someone listening who was going through a hard time, you know, like we have in the past and, um, they'll get out there tomorrow. They'll get on the move. Um, they'll serve, they'll try to, to make a difference and they'll find their sense of purpose and they'll, they'll shake off that funk. And if they do, um, they're going to help other people as well. So I, I think that's such a simple concept, right? If, if people are listening and what I take away from these things is if they're, if they're listening and they do one thing good because of this, because of you, right. Then we've, we've made a difference. Even if that's one person, we made a difference. So, um, well, that's the reason I started the podcast. Like you said, if it's one person, that that's uh, uh, means everything because, you know, sometimes you get to touch a lot of people and sometimes you just touch one person and you change their life. And then they you create that uh, pebble. You throw the pebble in the water and it creates a ripple. ripple. ripple they're gonna, you know, yeah, they're going to touch other people's lives. So if you have the opportunity to help one person, it's worth it all. You, you know, it. You yeah, it doesn't have to be grandiose as long as you find that way to uh, make that contribution. Like you said, um, we serve, we all have different ways of serving and just finding the way to serve is, is something that we all want to do. And that's why I'm so honored. And I mean, I, you know, I, you're a model for me, both of service and both for all the marathons. I'm not a runner. I'm impressed just watching you uh, do all those uh, marathons. I do something else, but you know, I work out, but not, I can't do that running thing like you. But it's just and, and then when you invited me to become an ambassador with Operation Gratitude, that was a honor that I really um, appreciated. And so it's just all those moments. You know, I, you know, I always say God has had a bigger plan for my life and he put people in it that obviously I wasn't planning on. And so I, I'm always grateful when that happens. And you're one of the people I'm very grateful that he put in my life. Yeah, me too, John. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great one. And um, I'll, we'll talk soon. Yeah. God bless you. God bless you too. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. Wow. So that was a lot. Uh, obviously here's uh, um, if you get a chance, if you're watching it on, on replay, 
you know, Kevin has lived an amazing life, both in the military and out in service in the military and in service outside as a civilian. A lot of lessons from his life. He's an amazing, um, loving person. I'm honored. I'm blessed to have him in my life. And he's just one example of how we can live life in this period of time, how we can be of service, how we can live courageously, how we can overcome fear and have faith and, and find a way to touch one person or touch two people or touch whoever you can to make life better. You all have, a, everybody has a gift. And my purpose of doing this live courageously show and bringing uh, amazing friends like uh, uh, Lieutenant Colonel um, Kevin Schmeagel on is to share it with others. So you get to hear what they've done with their life and what they're doing and maybe draw some lessons as to what you can do. And they don't have to be giant steps. They can be baby steps, but to get into service and to get into being the best you can be. So, uh, as I finish this up, uh, thank you for watching. Thank you for being part of it. Thanks, Kevin, for sharing his life and story with us. And, and we'll be back next week with another amazing friend and guest um, who is also a courageous human being. And so uh, until I see you next week, uh, take care and God bless.